Hello. Welcome to Senior Beat. My name is Christine Beattie. I'm the director at the Madison Senior Center, and my co-producer is Tom Frazier, who happens to be on the Mayor's Appointed Committee on Aging. And uh, we're here today with a good guest, uh, Mr. Matt Walkner, who is the Housing Initiative Specialist with the City of Madison. And we're glad you could come talk to us about senior housing. Mm -hmm. um, so... Well, welcome, Matt. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you. Um, so why are we having a housing report? And who is it aimed at? Sure. Uh, about two years ago, the council created the city's... Um, uh, why can't the board called now? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, it's my... Yeah, it's yeah. a Friday afternoon. Yeah, sorry. it's, it's the, a Friday. The city's housing strategy committee. So this is a mm -hmm. committee that's devoted to looking specifically at housing issues in the city of Madison, uh, particularly um, affordability and sort of the breadth of housing choices in the city. Mm -hmm. And part of their task is to write a biennial housing report that covers everything from homelessness up to market rate home ownership. Um, at the same time, they created my position, Housing Initiatives Specialist, uh, to staff that committee and really do a lot of the legwork and research of, uh, you know, what's our supply of housing, what's our demand, you know, who's moving here, uh, what's our growth look like? Uh, where is there a sort of a disconnect between the supply and demand side? What are mm -hmm. other communities doing? And then really coming up with um, solid recommendations on how we can move forward to address some of those problems that are in our market. Sure. Is that a long-term kind of, um, I mean, because every everything you mentioned changes very quickly. So exactly. how long do you think your report is going to be viable? So it's it's a biennial report, so every two years I have to, start over and the early on the committee made a decision that even two years is a really long time mm -hmm. so we decided to cut the market into um, smaller sections that we could tackle one at a time so we have homelessness low-income rental low-income home ownership senior housing yeah. students and then sort of just general market rate rental and ownership in 2014 we really tackled the the low-income segment of the market. So mm -hmm. we wrote the chapters on homelessness, low-income rental, low-income homeownership, and those got finalized, sent through the council, referred to all of these city committees, and um, those recommendations, most of them are actually in process right now. Great. So That's wonderful. In, yeah, yeah and, and at our recent Committee on Aging meeting, Matt came and talked about mm -hmm. the things that are near and dear to our mm -hmm. hearts, which is the senior housing right. issue. And which are not totally separate from low income, low income housing, right. because I think what we hear that where the big need is low, low moderate yeah. income, yeah. not upper income. Right. Yeah. So um, students and seniors were uh, were selected because students have a bunch of very specific factors that are driving their housing choices. Um, proximity to you know campus is really a big driving factor, and then the fact that you have really no income and you're living in the most expensive part of the city mm -hmm. um, creates a whole set of issues for them that we thought you have to treat separately. For seniors, um, it crosses all of those spectrums, um, mm -hmm. but there are other factors that are really kind of driving the decisions that seniors are making and there are unique choices that have to be made, so we decided to pull that out the best we could and look at it as a separate market. And I remember one of the things you mentioned is the rate of disability. Yes. So um, in, in general, the things that we sort of 
think of as demand factors. Um, income is a big one. When you are deciding if you're going to rent or own and where it's going to be, mm -hmm. how much money you make is a, a big factor that's driving that. Um, another big factor for this for the senior market is um, this demographic change that's happening in our community. So uh, the, as the baby boomers age, uh, they're going to change that, that market in that they're a big group of people who are entering, mm -hmm. and they might have different preferences than we've traditionally seen the seniors. Mm -hmm. um, and then disability. So the rate of disability goes up exponentially with age, and that, again, makes a difference in where you're going to live, what, sure. your, what your needs Especially are. Especially after 75. I mean, I want to say that most seniors are pretty healthy. Yes. But there comes a point in time when you can't go up a flight of steps to get to a bathroom. You yes. really need to be living on one floor. And, and there's a transition that happens where decisions stop being about real estate and health care um, starts to take over. Exactly. And they're not really market factors. So. <laughs> Trying to get a handle on that is yeah. one of the intents of the chapter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, that whole issue of affordability, too. What constitutes affordability? Sure. So we have a technical definition that um, what's affordable to you is 30% of your household income yeah. going to housing. Um, and a, in, the, in the rental market in general, we see that half of renters in the city are in housing that's unaffordable to them. Yeah. Um, when we look just at seniors, it's something more like a, a third of seniors are living in housing that's not mm -hmm. affordable to them. In other words, they're paying more than 30%. Right. They're in housing. But they're, they're in housing, but, but it's, it's eating up a, a lot of their income, probably an unsustainable right. amount of right. their income. Because if you're, you've got $10,000 a year income, right. 30% is not too much to be spending for housing. Exactly. And the senior market is rather unique in that we have a number of homeowners who are in yes. housing that is technically not affordable to them, which we don't really see a lot of in the rest of the, the housing market. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And other trends, you, I think in terms of your, your senior report, um, more and more seniors going to the periphery of the city. Um, yeah. Just different trends that I thought were very interesting. So, so there's a geographic trend that's happening in that the, the middle of the city is actually losing seniors. Mm -hmm. um, and that could be caused by a number of things. And then the edges of the city are, are gaining seniors. So that could be just people aging in place. So mm -hmm. people who bought a house, you know, 40 years ago on the edge of the city and now they're just becoming a senior. Mm -hmm. um, but it can also be that this is where we happen to build our large multifamily senior housing developments because there are certain things that these developers look for, and it tends to be large tracts of land right. where they can, can develop mm -hmm. those things, and we don't have a lot of that in the middle of the city. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a rather dramatic change, though, that's happening in, in mm -hmm. a relatively short amount of time where we've got this aging on the periphery, and we have a lot of our services concentrated in, in the middle of the city. So right. Senior Center is right. downtown. Right, and um, people have difficulty coming yes. uh, to the Senior Center because of transportation, especially that population that's over 75, sure. over 80, have really a hard time. And the core of our healthcare infrastructure is downtown. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of things that seniors, if we want them to access them, they have to come to downtown and right. having to live on the periphery could cause issues in the future. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Is, is downtown more expensive? 
Yeah, so absolutely. Because yeah, my impression is a lot of new condos and stuff downtown, but it's also my impression they're pretty expensive. Sure, um, <laughs> we have uh, a lot of development happening downtown, but it you know it's it's definitely targeted at a particular market, and a lot of the rental housing is for affluent singles in one-bedroom apartments, and that might not be the housing that seniors are looking for. Another thing you mentioned was that the increase in the demographic for seniors is the more affluent senior. Yeah. Um, it's kind of paradoxical, isn't it, in a certain way? So in general, what we're seeing in the city of Madison is our population growth kind of happens on the, the two ends of the spectrum. Uh, Lower-income households who are making, you know, say, $25,000 a year, and then um, higher-income households who are making $100,000 a year. And we see that in general, but we're seeing a lot of that in the senior population, the fastest-growing group. It might not be the largest, but mm -hmm. the group that's growing the fastest are these more affluent seniors. And that could be caused by the fact that we have seniors working longer than they used to, that this, this big baby boomer group in particular mm -hmm. might be working longer and making these higher wages, and it's tilting that market in okay. um, that direction. Yeah. Yeah, but and seniors have investments, and and a lot of them have homes. Yes, that have appreciated in value, and, and some a lot. Mm -hmm. And then maybe they sell those homes and okay. invest that money, and so they sometimes they're not all, um, you know, cash rich. They're, you know, kind of. Exactly. Investment. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So we, so we we see that with seniors is that the. It's not maybe the income that's as high, but the, the net worth. So they have something there in the form of retirement or uh, or housing that you could um, tap into to pay for, for right. living costs. Yeah. I've seen some reports nationally that really bugged me <laughs> 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 that, that talks about how wealthy seniors are. Right. And then, it, but if you subtract out the value of their, their homes, homes, they're sure. poor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. So it's almost all their wealth is in their home. House rich and cash, cash poor. poor. Yeah. Right. You know, they can't pay for the services they need unless they can get it out of their their homes. I want to ask about this periphery housing. Mm -hmm. You know, I can understand land values. You know, when it's a little cheaper and they can get more of it and stuff like that. But even that housing targeted to seniors is probably not really targeted to low income seniors. Mm -hmm. It's probably I mean, I'm guessing, but you tell me whether I'm right or wrong. Um, to seniors who are mobile, you know, mm -hmm. don't have a lot of disabilities, or at least they, you know, they can, they're very mobile. Mm -hmm. They're mm -hmm. fairly well-to-do, probably not as expensive as downtown, but it's still not cheap. Sure. So um, for the affordable side of senior housing, really the, the tools that we have to develop that are, almost exactly the same as our tools to develop affordable housing anywhere. And the fact is they're, they're limited. So um, mm -hmm. we don't see huge increases in the amount of affordable senior housing that we have. Uh, the tools that, that are available are primarily tax credits that are administered by the state. And there's certain things in that criteria that can make it difficult to do a senior housing development. So some years the criteria encourages a lot, and some years it's more towards families or more mm -hmm. towards homeless mm -hmm. populations. So um, I think that's one thing we're going to look for in, in this chapter is finding ways that we can fund the creation of more affordable senior housing.
And the demographic is not lying in terms of the numbers of people coming on. You mentioned the baby boom. Mm -hmm. Um, It won't be too long before we will have a need for significant amounts of uh, good quality, affordable housing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Anything else that um, you want to talk about with regard to the housing that you discovered that was kind of an aha moment for you? Um, Well, you know, this this income split was... A, oh, yes. a, a big one, and looking at the data, there's this, so that you've got a need for this lower income senior housing, and then you have this higher income senior housing where people really have a, a choice, mm-hmm. you know, and they have mm-hmm. these higher incomes, they can pick where they want to live. Mm-hmm. And in reading this, this data, there's another split that happens where you have seniors who are actually looking to possibly upgrade their house, move, oh into, a, move into a bigger house, a single family house, and then you have the other half who are looking to, to downsize and live in a more urban, walkable place. Right, right. And I think that that's a, a market that maybe we're really not serving. So we don't have a lot of options downtown and newer developments. That so are it, it, they're that. either downsizing or upsizing, and it's really hard to get your finger on where that's happening. Interesting. Yeah. Very. Well, thank you so much for being with us, Absolutely. Matt. And where could somebody get more information about your work? Is it on the website? It's, it's on the website. A lot of it is, is actually in our legislative information system because it gets passed as a report to the, the council. So okay. um, there are hard copies across the city. Um, okay. People can feel free to come to our housing strategy committee meeting. All and right. And weigh in on these issues. Go online. You can absolutely go online and search right. the city website. For housing the Strategies Committee, and yes. they could look up and find that. Thank you so much, Matt. Glad to be here. We'll see you in our next segment. Welcome back to Senior Beat. Uh, we have another guest for you today of great interest. Tom, would you like to introduce? Yes. Uh, we're very pleased to have uh, Jay Heck with us, and Jay is the Executive Director of Common Cause Wisconsin. Uh, and he has been the Executive Director of Common Cause since 1996, so getting close to 20 years. Uh, and Jay moved to Wisconsin in 1988 from Washington, D.C., to serve as top assistant to then-Wisconsin Senate Majority Leader Joe uh, Joe Stroll. Mm -hmm. I remember working with him. Um, He's a native of Cleveland, Ohio, and graduated with honors from Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. Mm -hmm. Welcome, Jay. Thank you. Great to be with you. Oh, yeah, glad to friend. have you. Well, um, 20 years with Common Cause Wisconsin. What What is Common Cause Wisconsin, I guess, is the question we have to ask. 
Well, you know, it's actually sort of the natural fulfillment of my career. I uh, spent all my life working in Congress or in the legislature mm -hmm. uh, in politics. And one thing I noticed, whether it was when I worked as a Republican or as a Democrat, I'm somewhere in the middle, mm -hmm. uh, was the need for uh, what we call good government, for mm -hmm. a system that was fair to all the candidates, that was obviously very fair to all the voters, that provided transparency, that provided really clean, honest government that, that citizens would have confidence in. And, you know, uh, living in D.C. and growing up elsewhere, Wisconsin was held as the model for many yes. years as as the state in the country with honest, clean, transparent government. Uh, you know, the state of Robert La Follette, the state of yes. Gaylord yes. Nelson and, and all the rest. So uh, when I came here, I, uh, it was, I saw that it was a little different than the model suggested it might have been. And uh, but but being with Common Cause all these many years, um, it has actually changed quite a bit, uh, not only in the state, but nationally. Um, and the issues that we work on, uh, transparency, uh, less money in politics, mm. voting, uh, hearing a lot all about of that all stuff. of those it's all it's right all it, these issues it's, never go away. Wow. That's right. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. exactly. So um, has your work. Uh, let, let me put it this way. Has your work gotten harder recently? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, let me just say it's a little more challenging. OK. Uh, Tom, who is who I've known for many years, his work in the Capitol, I think would agree that uh, it used to be in Wisconsin. It was a point of great pride for Republicans and Democrats to maybe disagree on issues, mm -hmm. but disagree in a civil way. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, or at the end of the session at least, try to come together and form some bipartisan consensus on what they could agree on mm -hmm. to further the interests of the people at large. And sure. I think what we found both in Wisconsin and nationally is that that's no longer the case. Yeah, just, just, it's partisan gridlock, and it's uh, there's a lot of uh, vilifying of uh, the other the other side. And mm -hmm. so my work is more challenging. On the other hand, uh, as someone has said, uh, it provides for job security, security because these issues will not go away anytime oh. soon. I, I do want to add one thing, and that is that Common Cause, the organization is strictly nonpartisan. We don't endorse candidates. Mm -hmm. And we have a bipartisan board. Mm -hmm. In the Madison area, people would recognize uh, the names of former Governor Anthony Earle. Mm -hmm. um, I was hired by uh, the, the late Mary Lou Muntz, who for many years was a great state representative from this area. Bill Krause, who was the top assistant mm -hmm. to Republican Governor Lee Sherman Dreyfus. Mm -hmm. These people are all very committed to the, to the common agenda of Common Cause, which is to bring people together to work for the common good, not for one partisan side or the other. And we're right in the middle of a new session. Not Well, we're not in the middle of it. We're at the beginning of it. A new session, and a, this is a budget year, our biennial budget year. So what are the two or three top priorities of Common Cause? Well, you know, we, our organization doesn't take positions on a lot of the various issues, environmental issues or issues of abortion or, you know, even in the environment. We're really a process-oriented organization. Right. So we so we look at how people are elected, how they behave once they're in office, and whether or not it's transparent information for the citizenry. But the issues uh, that we are concerned about, we like to say, are sort of the underlying issues behind everything else. If you don't have... The, the underlying 
political issues, uh, transparency, uh, civility in place, then it makes it difficult to make uh, progress on all, all the other issues, senior issues, for right. instance, that people care about. So, But the issues that we're most concerned with right now, I think in large part because of the way the legislature, the governor, uh, and the partisanship in the, uh, in the state has been, uh, are uh, something called redistricting reform. And really what that is is how voters choose their state representatives, their members of Congress. And it used to be, as you know, and Tom certainly knows, uh, that we used to have a lot of competitive elections in Wisconsin at both the state and the congressional level. Now there are, there's not a single congressional district in Wisconsin that's competitive. They are all gerrymandered in such a way so that they're all safe seats. And that's almost virtually true in the legislature. There's only about 15 of 99 assembly districts that are truly competitive, and really only four or five of 33 state senate districts. When you say gerrymandering, you mean those funny congressional (laughs) districts that have very interesting borders? That's right, and they look like lizards or, you know. And, in fact, there's a district now uh, to the south of Milwaukee in the shape of a gun actually pointed at Milwaukee. That's how the district was carved. It's a very odd shape, but it's pretty telling. The problem with having uncompetitive districts is that, number one, voters don't really have a choice. It's mm-hmm. preordained who's mm-hmm. going to win. The, the action, so to speak, is decided in the, in the partisan primary sure. rather than the general election. But the more important thing from citizen standpoint is that uh, legislators are less responsive if they are not challenged at election time. If they have a safe district, they don't have to listen to the 40% that doesn't agree with them. They can ignore them. And that's just they bad for citizens. doors, but they don't pay any attention. Is that what you're well, they, they walk, they, as you know, they probably knock on doors less unless it's right. in the primary and they spend more time raising money to defend themselves against these outside attack groups. So, so the issues we're concerned about is, is trying to have a nonpartisan redistricting process that would be in place after the 2020 census. Okay. Uh, like they do in Iowa. And it would be as they have in Iowa, which is a nonpartisan state agency that draws the, uh, the boundary lines mm-hmm. of the districts mm-hmm. without regard to political considerations. And rather than the, the lizards, <laughs> things like squares are encouraged <laughs> or, you know, counties kept intact or, gosh sure. forbid, communities of interest kept together so that they, are, they aren't divided in such a way to, to carve out safe seats. So that's an issue that's important. I'd say another important issue for us is maintaining free access to voting, mm-hmm. uh, attempts to try to make it more difficult, and in some cases for seniors more difficult oh, to vote. Very much so. It's a yes. huge issue, yes. as you know. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, our belief is that more people uh, ought to be encouraged to vote uh, rather than less. And voting should be made easier? S- simpler, sure. There should be online registration, for right. instance. Right. And the need for uh, a photo ID has proven to be really not the case anywhere. Uh, the proponents say it's to stop voter fraud. Uh, there really isn't any voter fraud in Wisconsin mm-hmm. and in other states. So uh, we need to get more sensible well, about that particular it. thing. We have a voter ID law, correct? Well, we do, I mean, although it's not, it's not, yes, but it's not been in place for any election other than a primary yeah. election yeah. in 2012. Yeah. But, but it is on the books. It is still on the books. It is on the books, and it so may what? go to the United States Supreme Court, Yeah, actually. that's what I'm saying. Is that the next step? That it's the, very possible. The There's Supreme a similar, uh, the similar law in Texas, which may go to the U.S. Supreme Court, but Wisconsin's as well. 
Nevertheless, it's one of those issues that I think is a divisive issue because many people, you know, very elderly people in rural communities who've been voting for years, unless they can produce a driver's license 20 years maybe after they've stopped driving, are going to find it hard to find that prescriptive, you know, that that form of ID that they need. Even a birth certificate might be difficult for some older folks. Many people. I just saw this picture of somebody... 80 years old, showing up who's voted for 60 years and at the same place and being told they can't vote. I mean, yeah. it's just... And that's happened. And, yeah. that's, and, and, and by the way, it's not just elderly people. It's middle-aged people who can't find their wallet. I mean, I'm always losing mine on, on election day. Mm-hmm. And unless you can go in, and even though you kn- you've known these people for 30 years at your right. polling place, they say, well, I'm sorry, Jay, I need to see... Either your driver's license or your passport. And right. I mean, I couldn't tell you where my passport is today. I mean, I could, if I look for it, I might be able to find it. <laughs> yeah. So those are the two of the issues. And then finally, one other issue that's of concern is the state watchdog uh, uh, agency that oversees our elections, campaign finance, and ethics. It's called the Wisconsin Government Accountability Board. Yeah. It is the only nonpartisan state agency in the country that oversees elections. Mm-hmm ethics and campaign finance, and that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. It was created with strong bipartisan support as a result of the legislative caucus scandal, which you may recall Mm -hmm. happened about 12 years ago, which brought down the top Republicans and Democrats in the legislature over a campaign finance scandal in the Capitol. And it was designed to be nonpartisan, so the Republicans and Democrats are not supposed to like it. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to be independent of the partisan considerations. And there is a strong move afoot in the legislature uh, to make it partisan again so that one party can control our elections and our campaign finance and our ethics overseas. It just seems to me to defeat the whole purpose. It absolutely does. But I think a lot of people have forgotten Wisconsin's reputation as being a state of open, fair, clean government, and they certainly have forgotten about the scandal that happened yeah. scarcely that 12 years ago. That Absolutely. It, it, it did drive it. it That's why it was created. And it was created by, by a Republican state senator, by the way. So, wow. it's, so it's interesting. So these are challenging issues. We work primarily at the state level. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have, we're part of national common cause, so we also work at the national level. And then uh, on some local issues as well, uh, here in Madison and Milwaukee and, and other cities, if, 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 uh, if we're asked to, to weigh in on those. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a great organization in the sense that the strength of our organization happens to be the senior members, mm-hmm. because many of these members have belonged to Common Cause since its founding in 1970. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you know, younger people don't tend to join civic organizations with the same vigor uh, vitality and regularity as as some of us who have lived a few years yeah, longer, yeah. Uh, and I think that's uh, sad in a way because yeah. these organizations are are vital cogs in our democracy. Right. Um, Jay, we're coming to the end of our program, so I think it's really important for you to give some contact information, sure. like your website, sure. and then how would people get a hold of uh, Common Cause if they wanted to telephone? Sure. Well, we, our state office, is, although we're statewide, we're, we're headquartered in Madison, Madison on State Street, right off of State Street, Street. right off of State Street. Uh, and the number in Madison is 608-256-2686. And then if you want to visit our website, it's commoncausewisconsin.org. Okay. Good. Good. So people can Very come helpful. to us there either um, way. 
And is it a member membership, membership organization. organization so that we can right. join you can in? Join and uh, but but even if you don't care to join and you just want to be on our email list, that's fine too. Because then you can get relevant information. You get information about, about it. But but we'd love to have you join because our strength is in numbers. We have sure. about 2,500 members in every corner of the state. Is this correct? Individual $25? That's what it is. We've kept it at that, uh, that, that level for many years. With, uh, it's a deal. You it's a deal. Now, wait a minute. Full disclosure. <laughs> Tom, you better do full disclosure. Okay, full disclosure. I have been invited and I've accepted to, to join the uh, board of directors of Common Cause. Good and, for you. Because I think it's, uh, it's really an important organization doing extremely important work right. and I have been interested in these issues and worked on them so for I years. Wanna, yeah, do yeah. what I can to help Jay and the rest of the board. It's a, it's a we're we're going to call that another hat for Tom. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And we're delighted to have him. Oh, well, thank you so yeah. much oh, for being with us. Thank okay. you so much. Thank See you, you next month on Senior Beat.